going to be looking at uh, verses 18 through 25 today in Luke 1. As we get into the sermon, uh, into this text, I want to remind you and, uh, and really encourage you that we not forget why Luke wrote this gospel account. He tells us why he wrote it in verse 4, and that's that Theophilus and we may have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. Luke wrote this so that we would be certain, we could have like bedrock certainty of the things that we've been taught. And as we go through this book, it's going to be a long study, okay? We all, we get that, right? We're going to be in the gospel according to Luke for a long time. But as we go through it, let's not forget why he wrote it, that we might have certainty. And as we go section by section by section through this book and verse by verse by verse through this book, that we would have certainty that the truths of the gospel would be, be more certain to us than ever. I think it's important for us to continue to remember that purpose as we go through, and especially important today as we look at the unbelief of Zechariah, who was in verse 6 called a man who was righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. We have this man and his wife who are righteous before God, blamelessly walking in all of his commandments and statutes. And then we get to this text where he doesn't believe what the Lord tells him. And so in remembering the purpose of this, let's move forward in it. And let's read Luke chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you would stand as I read. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy that you have lavished upon us, Lord. You're so kind. Even as we have sung, we praise you for Jesus, who is our treasure. We ask you, Lord, again this morning, you let your spirit fall on us and fill us so that we might have ears to hear hearts that have great affections for you as we look to your word in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, Zechariah, we've already seen earlier in chapter one, goes to the temple to offer incense, which would have been uh, probably the greatest 
um, and most exciting thing that he had ever been able to do. Again, to remind you, that's something that a priest could only do once in their whole life, and, and some priests never got to do that. And here's Zechariah's opportunity. He goes in uh, to the temple, and as he's um, offering this incense, this angel appears to him, and he's afraid. It says in uh, his appearing that Zechariah is troubled. Fear falls upon him. He's terrified. And you can imagine what Zechariah is thinking. What's going to happen to me? Why is this angel here? Is he going to bring this condemnation on me, this judgment? Is he going to kill me? Have I done something wrong? Has my heart been wrong in how I have approached God in the temple? And the angel says to him, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. You will have a son. That is great news and great relief, right? I mean, that's what we want to hear. The angel says to Zechariah, it's what we want, right? We want our prayer to be heard. We want to know, God, you hear my prayer. And Zechariah gets this. The angel comes to him and says, your prayer has been heard by God. I mean, that is Maybe the best news that we could think of. God hears me. I'm accepted to God. And that's what the angel says. And not just that. On top of that, you're going to have a son. This is really, really good news. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. You will have a son. But how does Zechariah respond? We see in the text today, he responds with unbelief. He doesn't believe the angel How shall I know this, he says. And we don't want to read this in a way that sounds like, ooh, how shall I know this? How is this going to happen? Tell me about the details. He's not saying that. This is unbelief. This is a, a, a prove it kind of response. That's impossible. Prove it. How could that possibly be? We know that from verse 20 where it says, the angel says to him, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Why doesn't he believe? He tells us here, I'm an old man. And my wife has advanced in years. I think if we're honest, we can all relate to him, right? Our heart goes out to Zechariah a little bit in our flesh because we're like, I get that. I, I, I if I had the same circumstances and it was brought to me and I was that old and my wife was barren, she wasn't able to have children and someone appears to me and says, you're going to have a son, your prayers have been heard. I'm going to be tempted like Zachariah to not believe. And that's how he responds. That's impossible, he's saying. And what's he doing? What's Zachariah doing here? He's looking at the outward Appearance. He's looking at the outward circumstances and letting those outward circumstances dictate his faith in God. But as the angel says later to Mary, when Gabriel appears to Mary in verse 36, he says, Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. But Zechariah doubts that. And the truth is, Zechariah should have known better. It says in verse 6 that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God. 
walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Zechariah would have known the ways of the Lord. He would have known the, the testimonies of the Lord. He knew the story of God. And so he was aware of the circumstances with Isaac's birth to Abraham and Sarah. Same conditions, both old, past the age of childbearing and Sarah being barren. He knew the circumstances there, and so he should have known this is possible. This is, this is possible with God. But he looks at the circumstances and doubts. Verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Gabriel isn't thrilled with Zechariah's response. And he rebukes Zechariah. And it's important for us to see in this text that unbelief is a big deal. The, the angel just doesn't, I get it. Okay, you're old. I get it. I understand. Let me re-explain. He doesn't. It's a big deal. It's a big deal that, that, that Zechariah doesn't believe God. And Gabriel says to him, I stand in the presence of God, Zechariah. You don't see what I see. You don't know what you're saying, Zechariah. You don't understand as I understand. I stand before God Almighty. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. You should have rejoiced, Zechariah. You should have been, you should have been filled with joy at the news that I brought. This is good news. And you didn't believe. You doubted. Verse 20, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And we're going to get to those, that last part. That's wonderful, which will be fulfilled in their time. But what does Gabriel do? He punishes Zechariah for his unbelief. There's a consequence to unbelief here. You didn't believe my word, so you're going to be silent. You're going to be unable to speak until the day that these things take place. You go to verse 22. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Now, that word that we have there for mute in the Greek can be translated as mute, unable to speak, or deaf. It could be either one. And then if you jump ahead to when after John is born to verse uh, 62, it says, And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called, what he wanted the baby, John, to be called. Now, why would they be making signs to his father if he just can't talk? And the reality is it's probable that what verse 22 means is deaf not mute and that Zechariah is now both unable to talk and unable to hear because of his unbelief it's likely that that's what verse 62 is referring to that's why they're not just saying hey Zechariah what do you want to call him they're making signs to him it's a consequence to Zechariah's unbelief. And you think about the circumstances here. Elizabeth isn't even pregnant yet. So for more than nine months, Zechariah will be mute, likely deaf. It's a big deal that he doesn't believe. Unbelief is a big deal. Verse 21 
The people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. It should have been that Zechariah went into the temple, uh, offered the incense and then came out and did the blessing, the benediction. But he's taking some time and the people are starting to wonder and they probably heard stories about what happens when people do the wrong thing in the temple. They've heard stories of people who've gone into the temple and they've died because of they've offered incense or offerings in the wrong way. And so you can imagine the people outside are beginning to wonder, marvel, what is taking Zachariah so long and why hasn't he come out yet? They're wondering at his return when he will return. Verse 22, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Zechariah should have come out filled with joy and then given the blessing to the people. And he misses out on a wonderful part of this once in a lifetime opportunity. Coming out and, and giving the blessing. We remember reading in Numbers 6 where he would have come out and said, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now imagine if the circumstances are different for Zechariah and he believed. Imagine if the angel appears to him and says, your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a son. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord and comes out in joy. And before the people with great joy gives this benediction, this blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. And he's thinking as he has done to me, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you as he has been to me. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace as he has done to me. But he comes out and he can't even speak. It says he tries to make signs. He's making signs to explain somehow to the people what happened. The people realize somehow by what he's doing that something's happened in there. He's seen a vision or something. In verse 23, when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. He finishes fulfilling his duties as priest and goes home. Verse 24 and 25, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Not sure why she stayed hidden for five months, but she does. But this is her response. Thus, The Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Here's a wife, a husband and wife who the scriptures, which do not fail, they tell us what God has said about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They say of these two people, this husband and wife, that they're both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. And yet that kind of a life, faithful life, does not keep people from looking at them and and thinking things and probably saying things about Zechariah and Elizabeth because they don't have children. And Elizabeth says, the Lord has taken away my reproach. In this, even my old age. You look at these two verses. You look at verse 20. Where the angel says to Zechariah. 
You'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And then we get to verse 24 and 25 and we see, okay, it's starting to happen. She is, she's pregnant and, and she's going to have a baby and she's praising the Lord, blessing the Lord for that. And then you move ahead to verse 64 of the same chapter. John is born and, and, and Zechariah Uh, gives him the name John, and then in verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Zechariah didn't believe the Lord. When he sends his angel and tells him he's going to have a son, he didn't believe. But that didn't prevent God's plan from being fulfilled. God's plan is still fulfilled exactly as it was told that it would be. Zechariah's unbelief, our unbelief, does not cause God to stumble. God will fulfill all of his plans, all of his plans. Whether we believe or not, he will fulfill his plans. He's not dependent on us. In his independence, he graciously loves and includes us in his plans. He allows us to be a part of his redemptive story. In verse 64, we see that what Gabriel said came true exactly. Even though Zechariah didn't believe, it didn't change God's plan. It didn't thwart his ways. Our unbelief doesn't thwart God's ways ever. God's plan is not thwarted by man. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Job 42 verse 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. The Lord sends an angel to Zechariah says, this is my plan. You're going to have a son. And not only is he just a son, he's going to be the one who's the herald for the Christ, the Messiah who's to come. He's going to proclaim the Lord's coming. Making ready for the Lord. And Zechariah doesn't believe. It's impossible. But God's ways are not thwarted and he's not tripped up. And, and he doesn't stumble over Zechariah's unbelief. What am I going to do now? I've got to find a different father for this baby. No, he's, his ways are his ways. He does whatever he pleases. No purpose of his can be thwarted. Three things I want to encourage us with in light of the text. The first is this the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Secondly, the righteous will stumble and doubt. And third, Jesus overcame our unbelief, Jesus overcame our stumbling and our doubting. The righteous will live by faith. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. When Luke 1, 6 says that, of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were both righteous before God. And we talked about, as we covered those verses, 
how that's possible. We know the reason that they were righteous, and that's because of their faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 3 says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's how righteousness always takes place or becomes us through faith counted to Abraham as righteousness. And if we read further in Romans chapter 4, starting with verse 18, it says of Abraham in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he shouldn't, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness in the midst of circumstances that were very similar to Zechariah's, right? He's told by God, you are going to have a son, And not just that, you're going to have many sons. You're going to have descendants that are like the sand of the seashore and the stars of the heavens. If you could count them, go ahead and try, but you can't. That's what your descendants are going to be like, Abraham. And Abraham being 100 and his wife being 90 years old, God comes to him and says to him, you're going to have a son, it's time And what does Abraham do in the midst of the same circumstances as Zechariah? He believes. He believes in what the scriptures say is God counted his faith to him as righteousness. And the joy of the text in Romans 4 is that it's not just for Abraham. Verse 23, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We are made righteous. We are counted righteous by faith, just as Abraham was, just as Zechariah was. And those who are righteous before God walk, live by faith. Number two, though, the righteous will stumble and doubt That's what happens to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. He doubts. Angel appears to him, says, you're going to have a son. Your prayers have been heard. He was righteous, but he doubted. He didn't believe. Even the best of men fall into unbelief now and then. None of us trust God's promises day after day after day after day after day. We are prone to to wonder, we are prone to unbelief. We struggle with faith. But unbelief didn't define Zechariah. This, this, this text here, this circumstance in the temple where the angel appears to him and says, this is what's going to take place. And he says, he, does, he responds in disbelief. 
That doesn't define him. We look further ahead and when we see him again towards the end of Luke 1 after John is born, what does it say of him in verse 67? It says, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his, pe- redeemed his people. And then he continues in this song of praise, giving glory to God. He wasn't characterized by unbelief. His tongue is loose and he praises the Lord. The psalmist David in in, in Psalm 32, he writes this in verses 1 through 7. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Was was David righteous before God? He was righteous before God. Did he sin? He sinned. But how did he respond? What what this chapter in, in the Psalms is saying is that the righteous are those who do not remain in their sin, but they're repentant. They confess their sin. He sinned, but he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then of us, those reading this, he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. The righteous are those who do not remain in their sin. We stumble and we doubt, but we do not remain in our sin. We confess our sins. We see in Luke chapter 1, unbelief is a big deal. Zechariah was mute. He was deaf because of it. It's consequences, real consequences to his unbelief. We talk about believing the gospel every day preaching it to ourselves every day and in all circumstances. We talk about that a lot here. Just whatever our circumstances are, that we would apply the gospel, that we would embrace the gospel, that we preach the gospel to ourselves. And this is why. Because we're prone to stumble. We're prone to not believe. And so we get into circumstances and we're not believing the gospel. We struggle like Zechariah. We struggle with unbelief. What is it that we don't believe? What are the things that are true, the promises that are true that we don't believe? Here's, here's just a, a portion of promises that we, we fight and we, we don't believe day to day. John 3.16 and Romans 5.8 and Romans 8.38 and 39. That God loves us and that he proved his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and that nothing can separate us from his love. We, we struggle believing the truth of Romans 8.1 that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. 
And we walk through our day doubting that and condemning ourselves as if God is condemning us because of our unbelief or our doubt or our struggles or our stumbling. And then what does that unbelief and that condemnation from us lead us to do? It leads us into more decisions by the flesh and and following after fleshly desires. We struggle to believe Romans 6 and Colossians 3, 3, that we have died to sin. Galatians 5, 16, that tells us if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Psalm 37, verse 4, that says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians 4, 19, that says, God will supply all your needs. Or Ephesians 1, 4, that says, We are holy and blameless before Him in Christ. Or Matthew 5, 13 and 14, that says, You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Not become the salt of the earth or try to be the light of the world. You are those things because of Christ. Or 2 Corinthians 5, that says, You are ambassadors of Christ. Why? Why are all those things true? Because of Jesus. But we don't believe. We go through our lives, we stumble. We go through our days, we stumble. Many of us got dressed to come and worship the God of the universe in unbelief this morning. Stumbling with our thoughts, stumbling with our our desires, stumbling with believing these, these truths that have been so beautifully promised to us. We drove to worship the Lord and doubted. Are there consequences for us? Is God going to strike me deaf or mute? I think it's important for us to understand that it's that unbelief that leads us to adultery. There's unbelief that leads us to look at pornography, that leads us to pride, that leads us to to stealing or to gossip or lying or idolatry or anger. And the truth is you may lose more than hearing or sight. We bow to the altar of unbelief. We can lose our friends. We could lose respect from our children. We could lose our spouse. We could lose our job. Unbelief is a big deal. And yet we need not despair. That's what we want to do when we come to this part, right? Well, crud. (laughs) You're not just going to pray and send us home, right? We want to focus in on, he got, he's deaf. And he's not able to speak anymore. And I really don't believe compared to Zechariah. What's going to happen to me? What, oh, and we begin to despair. We need not despair. Don't despair. There is none righteous, not even one, the Bible says. Don't despair. What matters is what we do with our unbelief. Do we come out? Do we repent? Do we, like Zechariah, bless the Lord in the obedience of faith? We continue to stumble, but that brings us to number three. Jesus overcame our unbelief. Jesus overcame our stumbling and our doubt. 
And there's hope in Christ. We need not despair. The Lord is not surprised by Zechariah's unbelief. He's not shocked. In fact, Psalm 103 verses 10 through 14 say this. He, God, does not deal with us according to our sins. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. What does he do instead? He sends his son. He knows our frame. He knows that we struggle with unbelief day in and day out and moment by moment by moment. And so he sends his son, Jesus, who comes and lives a perfectly righteous life. He never doubted. He never stumbled. He never failed. He was tempted in every way and never sinned. Trusted his father completely. Obeyed him fully. And so when Paul says in Romans and Galatians that we are counted righteous in him, that's what he's talking about. He means Jesus' faithfulness, the truth that he never doubted his father. That faithfulness, that righteousness, that purity is counted, credited to us. We're holy and blameless before him because our feeble faith was overcome by his faithful faith, his faultless faith. And when the father says in Mark 9, and we run to this a lot, right? You know the text where the father comes to Jesus and says, if you can, you can make my son well. Jesus says, if you can, Anything's possible for those who believe. And remember what the dad says? I do believe. Help my unbelief or help me overcome my unbelief. We run to that a lot. I pray that a lot. He asks him, help my unbelief. And Jesus does with faultless faith. Jesus overcomes his unbelief, overcomes our unbelief by his faultless faith, living a perfectly faithful life on our behalf. So if we believe in him, we are credited, counted, righteous, counted as faithful. And so what ought we to do? How do we respond? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
the beginner and ender of our faith, the one who is faultless in his faith, even in the midst of circumstances far beyond circumstances that we will ever face. In the garden, on his knees, sweating what was like drops of blood, saying to his father, if there's any other way, let it be. Take this cup, let it pass from me, but not my will, Lord, your will be done. Faithful in the most difficult of circumstances on our behalf. And so as Hebrews 10, 35 through 39 says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Why? Because of Jesus. We are hidden in the one who is perfectly righteous, who God took great pleasure in. And there is no condemnation for us. And so we can press on, we can have confidence and not shrink back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Jesus, thank you for coming and doing what we could not do. You never doubted. You did not disobey your Father. But you pleased Him took pleasure in you for the joy set before you, Jesus. You endured the cross for us. You lived the righteousness that we could not live and you bore the wrath that we could not bear so that if we believe in you, even with our faulty, feeble faith, we are counted as faithful counted as righteous. Father, we praise you. We praise you that your eyes are fixed on your Son in whom we are hidden. We praise you that you have invited us into him, that you have saved us, that you have taken our sins and, and, and cast them as far as the east is from the west. You have forgiven us completely that there's no condemnation for us that we are holy and blameless before you and that you have granted to us that we are salt we are light we are ambassadors we are those who are set apart and and given the pleasure of proclaiming the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light please help us lord Just as we sang and prayed earlier, let your spirit fall on us and fill us, Lord, that we might please you, that we might proclaim Christ, that we might exalt you, that you would be glorified through us, that you would give us faith. We know that if we we walk by your spirit, Lord, we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. We will believe by the power of your spirit. And we want that, Lord, because we want to please you and we want to glorify you. So please help us, Lord. I pray in Christ's name.
Amen.